Welcome to another episode of the Gospel Lifeline. I'm Matthew Statler, and I'm here with Neil Grogan. So today we have the church, and how do I say it, Neil? Well, the locals of the Turkish land call it Laodicea. Laodicea. And that you would probably know it as Laodicea or Laodicea. Um, mm-hmm. But we will call it whatever I guess we end up calling it. So, Neil, yesterday I was listening to a podcast and it was talking about pastors and style. And it was talking about... Um, I don't know none of that. <laughs> I know, right? Me neither. But it was talking about the difference between um, someone like John MacArthur or Stephen Lawson wearing suits and someone mm-hmm. like Stephen Furtick or T.D. Jakes or any of those other uh, well-known guys and what they would wear. And they talked about a Instagram guy who did something about preachers and sneakers. And the guy went around and took pictures or, or took pictures off of their cultivated YouTubes and sites and everything and, and took pictures of them and then showed how much they cost. And, you know, these are shoes like upwards of a thousand dollars or, or various other um, costs. And Good you know, they grief. were, yeah, they were, they were making the argument that these preachers were doing this on purpose and even like worship leaders and stuff like that were doing it on purpose to show that they had some financial success and that, Hmm. you know, but in a, in a younger, cool hip way, whereas like back in the day, someone would, you know, have a, have two wigs that would be fancy wigs. Like Jonathan Edwards got in trouble with his congregation for having two wigs because it seemed like he was so prosperous. How the times have changed. How the times have changed. And so um, even though these guys will be wearing like jeans and a, and a, you know, a designer t-shirt and then tennis shoes, these are expensive things that they're wearing to kind of give off this impression that they are rich um, or that they are successful. And so, you know, they were making the case, of course, that that coolness, uh, the definition of coolness and what that means. And of course, they were arguing against this idea of prosperity gospel, but the Prosperity Gospel, there was a uh, research done on it um, by a, um, I don't know if she's a secular lady or not, but she basically tried to emphasize that it's not just about financial success, but ultimately that God is involved in every aspect of someone's life for their good. And so these people would then take the idea that God is good which means it should translate into health, wealth, and prosperity. And that's yeah. and that's where they're coming from, which kind of reminds us a lot of Laodicea because in this in this letter we see or this you know this letter to Laodicea, we see a really scathing um, statement, don't we? Yeah. Yeah, no no commendation whatsoever in this letter. So they're obviously proudest of, and then from the background uh, of Laodicea, Kea, we we see that they are really well off. Just like last week, we talked about Philadelphia and how they had an earthquake, and then they needed a stimulus check from Rome. This this city did is, was too proud and refused it. They didn't need it. Yeah, and in fact, yeah. little aspects of this city pop up in this letter, and it's so fascinating. And, and so, Neil, I don't know if you want to just start by by reading the first part of this um, 
letter, you know, the, the introduction. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. It says right in verse 14 through 22, this is the seventh and last church in revelation that Jesus writes to says, write to the angel of the church in Laodicea. Thus says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. I know your works. Do you want me to keep going? Uh, take it all the way down to, yeah, fi- yeah, finish 15. Okay. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I am going to vomit you out of my mouth. Blah. So already we got our introduction <laughs> of who Jesus is, the originator yeah. of God's creation. Man, we could unpack that for days. The um, amen. The amen. Yes. And that's the faithful true witness. The when when you're called the amen, you're that's the mic drop. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> the amen. Oh man. Mm. Yeah, so Jesus says he's the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the originator of God's creation. Uh that God creates through him, through the word, right? That's right. Um we see that in Genesis chapter one. Um, he knows their works. He created them. Th- I think this is what's really cool about his little intro statement, Matt, here is that he talks about how um, he is the final stamp, that he is faithful, that he is true, the true witness. Everything he says is trustworthy, right? He's the originator of God's creation. He created. And then he goes into, I know your works. And I know that's been a common uh, phrase throughout each of these letters, but for this one, it strikes me a little more um, uh, w- with more like footsteps, you know, yeah. like it, it, it's look, I am the author of this thing and I know your works. Right. And that, that pierces just, man, that like stings a little bit more, you know, especially cause he rips them, you know, yeah, in the uh, context this of this church. letter, this introduction really brings out um, the importance of what he introduces himself. So yeah. as we go, as we continue through this letter, you're going to notice that this is a scathing indictment against the, the mm-hmm. status of this church, what's going on in this church and what's going on yeah. um, really in the city in general. Neil, when we were talking about this, had mentioned, you know, what would it be like if I had received this letter in my home or in my house church. What if, what if God had written this letter to you personally and said these things? And Mm -hmm. as I was thinking about that, I said, well, man, I I would probably mentally try to argue against it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, well, that's not true would be one of the things that my, my mind would want to say, well, right here, it already reminds us that he is the faithful and true witness. Right. I would say something, maybe I would say, well, you know, God put us here in this position. Well, he is the originator and the creator, right? God's, uh, God's create originator of God's creation. And then all of a sudden we go into what they're being indicted for. Yeah. So Neil, the first thing it says, I know your works that you are neither hot or cold. And then he starts talking about hot and cold and lukewarm. And, um, he's going to spew you out of my mouth. What, where does that kind of come from? Yeah. I think, uh, I've heard, many pastors talk about like, you don't taste good. You vomit you out, blah, 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 you know, but they never really ping on like why this is such a, 
specific thing he says to the church in Laodicea or Laodicea or Laodicea, however you want to float the boat. But, you know, the city is famous for a few things, and it's going to come out throughout this uh, review of the church, this <laughs> this quarterly review here. Yeah. Um, the, the city of Laodicea is famous for being a banking center. They mint their own, own coins. They have a mint. It's very rare. Um, they're famous because they have this um, medical school, which is specializes in ophthalmology or the study of the eyeball. Um, they ha- also have this rare high-end black wool um, that, so they're clothed in like really fine garments, right? That comes from this black wool, this black sheep that's only found in this region. It's rare. Um, they're also famous because they have, for stadium, their sport, they have this longest stadium in all of Asia Minor. Um, and what's also key, and this is where we see this hot or cold water statement is that they're also really famous for their water system, their aqueducts, their ingenuity. There's no water right close to where the city is. And so they built these aqueducts like over this mountain and, and bring it very far. But because of the, the distance when the water, uh, the water itself has this high mineral content in it. And so it comes out of these little, centers of water all around the town and i actually went to one you could see how the the minerals had you know shaped and formed and and scarred these different tubes these aqueducts and um so it's got this high mineral content which makes the water tepid it makes it lukewarm and so what's common for people they go to get water mat and they'd fill it up and they'd take a sip and they would spit it out immediately because it tasted gross because of yeah. all the mineral content, the, the lukewarmness, the tepidness of this water. Like bath water. And, uh, and so when Jesus says, I know your works, you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. It's very specific what he's saying to the city, you know? That 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 would resonate with the listener. Oh, he's talking about our water, <laughs> you know, like yeah. straight up, you know. Ooh, they they taste um, nasty. Yeah, right. They're, You're they're gross. Wor- their works are um, not inviting. People yeah. are not coming to bottle up your wine and sell it in foreign countries, right? This, yeah, you, you're not you refreshed. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so, so what does that look on... like? But what does that look like in you know in your life, our personal life, or even in our church's life, right? Because yeah. um, yeah. over and over again, we see Jesus says, "I know your works," and then he says something about their works, right? And in this case, he is saying that you're just lukewarm, but that doesn't just mean that you're not motivated this way or that way, but it means that you you're, you're tepid, you don't taste good. Um, you make me sick just yeah. by seeing it. So you could, I mean, cause, cause you know, pastors will be like, well, I wish you were either cold and not, you're not motivated for the Lord, or I wish you were hot and motivated for the Lord, but that's not what's being said here. It's not about no. motivation or um, it's, it's that your works are dead um, and it, yeah. that your you don't have any 
value. You are worthless mm-hmm. to the majority of the people. So what is it that we're doing in your home or in your church that would cause God to say, you are lukewarm and I want to spit you out? Yeah. You know, another key thing is Laodicea isn't really going through any persecution right. whatsoever for their faith. So that tells us a couple things. Number one, it tells us that the church here, it looks like the city. There's no saltiness. There's no light on a lampstand, you know, like there's no real differentiation between anybody else. And so it's, and for all of that, if the Lord looks at our, at our works apart from Christ, it's gross. It's detestable. It's worthy of his wrath and not his grace. Right. And so these professing Christians look like everybody else. They don't look like they've been changed by the blood of Christ. And so Jesus, man, he's telling them, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth because you, there's no refreshment of the living water within you. You know, there's nothing different about what's going on here. You look like everyone else. He goes on and says, so because you're going to go on real quick before you go on, because I I really want to set this up. So if you you look at Philadelphia, you Mm -hmm. see that they were persecuted or at the very least they were of no account, but they were faithful and they held on to Christ. Endured. Endured. And it says you have hold, you know, we remember from last week, it said you have hold, you hold on to what you have. Uh, You hold Mm -hmm. on to the word and to, well here. So he just said that, that about the lukewarmness. And then as Neil goes on, I want you to listen to what Christ is saying that they have need of because mm. it's because it, it's a need not need situation. Do they desire Christ or not? Or do they need mm. Christ or not? And, and I think their prosperity has led them to say, we don't need the Lord. So go ahead. Neil. Yeah. Okay. Verse 16. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth for you say, I am rich. I've become wealthy and need nothing. Remember that they uh, are famous for banking. They have their own mint. They mint their own coin. Okay, so they're rich. They didn't need a stimulus from Rome after the earthquake um, and need nothing. And you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind. What are they famous for, Matt, in, me- in medicine? Yeah, they're, they're eye doctors. Yeah, ophthalmology, yeah. You're pitiful, wretched, poor, blind, and naked. Famous for black wool, right? <laughs> but you're but you're naked. I advise you to buy gold buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich. That you get white clothes so that you may be dressed and your shameful nakedness not exposed, and ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. That's that's a mic drop right there. Oh my gosh! Because he is I mean, he is hitting everything that they're famous yeah. for and saying this is of no account. Yeah, you need to your, trade your all standard, that. Standard, your standard, your viewing, your success through, or your prominence through, or status, whatever your pride. I'm gonna pop that bubble. God opposes the proud, 
but gives grace to the humble. And here we see that worked out in the context of a church who looks like everybody else. Um, you're, there, you think you're rich, yeah. you're poor. You think you can see, you're famous for eyesight, you're really blind. You're famous for black wool in a region where no one else has, you're actually naked. It, mm. you know, it goes back again, <laughs> over and over again, to where is the source um, of, of value, of power, of of anything identity identity and and what we see over and over again is prosperity lends people to feel like they don't need anything from anybody uh and 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 that's what the danger is in in a prosperity centered approach like so we in america we we have so much going for us i mean we're rich compared to the rest of the world and so we really don't have to pray for our daily bread in most, you know, most of our houses and households, because our daily bread, we have food, you know, accessible foods getting thrown away by the tons. Mm. But most people in other countries will have to pray and say, God, I hope I get some food today. Uh, I hope I'm not starving. And so they have a reliance on God that that a lot of people in our country, um, in our cities, our churches, but this also means in our homes. Right? How often do we solve our our problems without coming to Christ for our help? Mm. And I think that's a really scathing indictment. When when your church is struggling with something, what's the first step? Is it to reevaluate the budget? Is it to count the members of the pews? Is it to reach out to that uh, rich benefactor? Um, or is it to get on your knees and begin to pray? Uh, when your when your marriage is going well and, and things just seem to be clicking along, does that lead you to be closer to Christ or further from him or farther from him? Um, and I think that's the, the warning we see here in this church is that their prosperity has led them to rely um, on their own abilities, right? Just yeah. like their city. Hmm. Yeah, and so, you know, Jesus he makes some advisements. He gives counsel, you know, at the counsel he gives reminds me a lot of Isaiah uh, 55 verse three. It says, incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. You know, I feel like Jesus comes in and he just pops this bubble, this vanity of a church. Mm-hmm. And, um, but he doesn't leave them there. And this is what I love because there's evidence of this church continuing on until the sixth, seventh century after they heard this in their little house church. And so it, I think, you know, Matt, I think they heard the charge of Christ, yeah. um, based on what I saw archeologically. Right. Right. Um, is that a word? Can you throw a Y on the end? The archaeological evidence. The archaeological evidence says that Posits. this church continued on for centuries after this right. letter. And so um, <laughs> it, it's beautiful because um, man, he, he knows your heart, listener. Man, Jesus knows your church. He made it. He changed your heart. He knows you lay exposed before him. And the charge, the letter that he writes to you 
will bring charges against you, you know, in most cases. And there are things for us to investigate in our hearts that are so dark and deceptive that must be brought forward, but only Christ can do it. And when he does it, though, know this, the Lord has compassion on you and he wants to see you change and more, be more like him. And so here's the advisement I feel like he would give. And this is the advisement he gives to the uh, church in Laodicea. Buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich. White clothes so that you may be dressed and your shameful nakedness not be exposed. An ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. You know, Jesus is obviously giving the opposite picture of all the things they're famous for. What they, what you think you have, you really need from me. Uh, and you need to buy the gold that I've refined in fire from me. That's It's an everlasting, right? Uh, that will bring you the richness you really want. You know, he kind of refocuses, re Neil, re-standardizes. Neil, to kind of sum that up, it's like your physical prosperity has led to spiritual poverty, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're spiritually bankrupt. Yeah, you're, um, you're, you're, all this physical stuff has, has ruined you spiritually. Right. Uh, white clothes, so that you may be dressed. <laughs> It's like only the only Christ can clothe and um, cover your shame. That's right. And uh, he does so on the cross. Ointment on your eyes. You're blind. Now, now you can see, right? As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. What in the world? What is that? What is, why would Jesus say, as many I love, I rebuke and discipline? Well, man, you look at like Proverbs 3, 11 through 12. It says, do not despise the Lord's instruction, my son, and do not loathe his discipline. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, just as a father disciplines the son in whom he delights. And then, of course, Hebrews, Paul, or whoever the author of Hebrews is, takes it and says, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. And so the Lord's discipline is a sign of his love for his children, just like we as parents have to discipline our children in order to get keep them on the right path. The Lord does the same thing. And that's what I really think he is saying here. He's like, listen, I know this hurts your feelings, but it's needed, right? You need this discipline. I rebuke you and discipline you um, because I love you. And I think for them, like you said, it seems like they took, took heed to this advice and, um, continued at least from at least some type of continuation that continued in the faith right okay so he disciplines them those who he loves right yeah so be zealous and repent what is a zealot well you know we know from from the in the jewish time it was a um a religious zealot was often called the zealous it was a a sect of people who were very um, single-minded in their desire to restore Israel to the way that it was. And so they would fight the Romans. They would, you know, do radical things. They would, I mean, they really would be what the Romans would call terrorists. And for the Israelites, they were like a freedom fighter. So 
but they were so single-minded they were willing to throw their lives away for the purpose of 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 changing the status and going back to what they want yeah so we get this this uh exhortation to be zealous to fight to wage war to uh strive forward towards what repentance yeah. to turn from this sin. And like, I, like I said, I think there's been some evidence that some of that took place, you know? And then Jesus says, see, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in with him and eat with him and he with me. So Matt, this, this verse right here is one we often hear uh, used at a time of invitation at the end of a church service or something like that. Do you, what do you think the correct interpretation of this text is? You know, I, I haven't studied this enough to be able to give you like the, the um, definitive answer. Uh, I do think it's interesting that we have this open door, closed door conversation again, like the church yeah. that we just saw. In Philadelphia. Um, yeah, in Philadelphia. And so we see this context of Christians, because he's writing to these these people, who at least who say believers. they are believers. Yeah. Um, and he says, repent, be zealous for repentance. See, I stand at the door and knock. So yeah. in many ways, it seems to me more like, is your conscience telling you that that you're wrong and you need to repent. Um, and, and so for, so I, I, it seems like in this context that it's for believers, not an evangelism technique that Jesus is standing there knocking on the door of your heart, but yeah. in more in, in your personal or even in your, co- your corporate churches where, I mean, think about this. If this is a church door that he is knocking on, who owns the church? Hmm. Well, Christ, he's the head of the church. So is he outside of his own church having to knock at the door and not be able to come in like he owns the home? Right. So for me, that's what seems to be what's being you know, explained here is that the church has pushed Christ out. And so he is no longer the, the key source, the one that they desire. And he's, he's not what they come to for help. And so now he's outside his own church, knocking on the outside door, um, wanting to come in and eat with them and re- recline with them and do the things that he is for the marriage supper of the lamb. Um, and so that's what it seems like in this context, not so much as an, as an evangelism, Christ is knocking at the door of your heart. Why don't you let him in? Um, right. And, and we've, we've heard the jokes about, you know, Christ doesn't just knock, he'll kick the door in and, and stuff like that. And nobody can keep Christ out. But that's what he's warning this church about is that they have essentially pushed him out the church. Yeah. And I think I think he really keyed in on it, Matt, when you said that this was written to believers, you know, yeah. and and to the context of believers. And so one of the things I feel like I see Christians fail in often is when there's grievous sin pointed out in their life and it's before them. They're conscious of their rebellion, as David would say, right? Uh, one of the mm, tactics I feel like of the enemy, the lies we may believe, is that we have to figure this out on our own and we have to be 100% you know, free of and blah, blah, blah before we can have a relationship with Jesus. I mean, this I feel like Jesus is busting that 
he's like anticipating the lie of the enemy here. Yeah. <laughs> he says, be zealous and repent. See, I stand at the door and I knock. I'm here. Yep. Come and eat with me. I will eat with you. I, we will meet together. We will have communion with one another. I am not far away from you. I'm right here. And I, I think it's a beautiful picture, Matt, of the heart of Christ. And so for the discipline we receive from our Lord who loves us, although painful for a time, it is for the purpose of restoration of union. And so, man, when we um, when we draw near to him uh, in the midst of our sinfulness, the promise is he is right here ready, wanting to meet with you. You don't have to have it figured out. He will help you figure it out. He will strengthen you towards this zealous repentance. He will show you the standard and the way forward. He will give you the solve to your eyes so you may see. He will clothe you and hide your shame and your nakedness. He will give you gold to give you true wealth. like And not in the sense of like, obviously, like we've said, this, this genie type of thing or this ATM God thing a lot of people say, but no, this eternal richness, this co-heir with Christ, like he will give those things to you. So man, let us draw near. Let us like verse 21 says to the one who conquers, he gives the right to sit with him on the throne, just as he also conquered and sat down with his father on his throne. And so man, embrace the, uh, embrace the uh oh what's the word the gift of christ the inheritance of christ um embrace it receive it walk in it and rest in it you know yeah. that would be what i would encourage someone to do i would say anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the spirit says to the churches so we've yeah. we've gone through these seven churches in Revelation. I think it's important that you don't just listen and hear what has has transpired here, but actually start to to implement this in your personal life and and look at um, the warnings to the churches, look at the commendations, and use it to uh, evaluate your own personal life and the life mm. of your church and see where you can. Um, be more faithful and endure to the yeah. end. And, and I, I think that's the point of these seven churches is not, is not only was it a letter written to the churches individually um, and the churches corporately, but also to all of us that we would look at it and listen and see uh, what the Lord values and what's of eternal value, not ours. I'll leave you with a, a quote from Jonathan Edwards and I'm just going to paraphrase it, but essentially he said, I wish I had eternity tattooed on my eyeballs. And he was saying that because he he wants to be able to everything that he thinks about, everything he looks at, everything that he sees, he wants to view it in light of eternity. And I think um, that's the antidote to prosperity esque uh, lifestyle is to is to look towards eternity. Well, unless Neil has any saved rounds, I think we will wrap this up. All right. Well, this is Neil and Matt, and we enjoy you listening to our podcast. Hey, if you could do us a favor and leave us a honest five-star review um, or comments, that would really encourage us as we seek to uh, better serve you. 
Uh, Neil and I do this mostly for fun because we enjoy yeah. getting together and talking about the word. And But we also like to do it because we think that it's helpful for you. So if it's been helpful, if you've gained something from it, leave us a comment, um, share our Facebook page about it, get the word out because the more people um, that we can engage with the word, I think the better um, yeah. as well. And it, that's if you find it useful, uh, leave us comments on Facebook or, or what have you. Um, we'd really appreciate it. We would think of it as a personal favor to us. Um, and just reach out because we love to hear from you as well. And we've gotten a lot of good feedback in the past. Neil has yeah, a safe and, round. And if you, uh, have anything you want us to discuss, you know, write it, write it in a letter, you know, maybe we'll do a mailbag episode once a letter a month or, or an something. email. And, or yeah, yeah. The handwritten letter pinned with quill. Uh, yeah. Hit us, hit us up. Well, guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Gospel Lifeline podcast. Until next time, Neil and Matt, we out. Uh-huh.